0: welcome you're listening to the malcontent news russia ukraine war podcast the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in ukraine don't forget to like comment and subscribe on apple podcasts spotify and google podcasts
1: hello i'm marina yevshan co-host of the russia ukraine war report podcast and today is october the 18th 2023 it's been 3,522 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 237 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. During today's podcast, you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed. And there is a link in the podcast description. There are updates. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine morning reports, operational commands north, south, and east of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. There are changes from yesterday. In our assessment, the promised deliveries of weapons, equipment and munitions from Western partners appear to be catching up with the commitments made and may assist in extending their ongoing Ukrainian counteroffensive operations. The soft response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border will eventually lead to a significant incident that could result in military intervention. The Ukrainian summerfall counteroffensive is likely reaching its culmination point due to a number of factors, even though Ukraine still maintains significant combat potential and is maintaining the initiative in the Bakhmut and Zaporizhia regions. The Russian Federation has launched multiple large-scale attacks in an attempt to force Ukraine to utilize its reserve forces and accelerate the consumption of ammunition, with United States military aid remaining in limbo. While Russia has taken the initiative in three areas of operation, AO, the poorly executed offensives have caused catastrophic Russian losses. The new Russian offensive has exposed the degradation of their artillery capabilities due to a shortage of replacement barrels, a lack of powder charges, and the reluctance to use full charges for maximum range to preserve the lifespan of existing barrels. The removal of the United States Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy has put future Ukrainian military operations at risk. We further assess that the abrupt ending of U.S. military aid will be catastrophic if a resolution is not reached within the next 8 to 15 days. The Kremlin continues to use the Israel-Hamas war as a distraction in the information space to fracture support for Ukraine further and engaged in large-scale disinformation campaigns. We maintain that Russia is stockpiling missiles for large-scale attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure as the weather continues to degrade and the activity to destroy Ukraine's electrical system has started. Finally, while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts in Kharkiv. In the Kupiansk operational area, AO, the situation remains challenging for Ukrainian forces. North of Kupiansk, Russian forces tried to advance in the direction of Sinkivka, but were unsuccessful. Russian forces were also on the offensive on the southern edge of Laman I. East of Kupiansk. fighting continued near Orlanske and on the eastern fringe of Ivanivka. Video showed a Russian advance of light infantry supported by a single tank failed. The T-72 tank was destroyed and at least a dozen Russian soldiers were killed. We made a small adjustment to the war map based on the new intelligence. Russian forces probing for weakness in the Ukrainian defense lines also attacked near Kyslivka without success. Moving on to the situation in the Donbass, we start in Luhansk. In the Svatove Ao, Russian forces have switched to probing attacks striking near Serhievka, Nadia, Novoehorivka and Makiivka. Ukrainian forces were under pressure at Makiivka and Nadia, which was hit with nine attacks throughout the day. Moving to an assessment from our analyst team. Our assessment is unchanged from over the summer while the podcast was on a break. The terrain west of Serhivka is very unfavorable for a Russian advance, and Ukrainian forces have had time to prepare additional defenses and lay mines. It will be extremely challenging for Russia to establish stable defensive positions on the western edge of Nadia to launch future offensives. A successful push toward Borova will require an advance to Pershotravneve as quickly as possible to establish a bridgehead on the top. We're unsure why Russian commanders continue to attack in this direction. South of Kremienna, the Russian Ministry of Defense, Armad claimed Ukrainian forces were on the offensive in the areas of Dubrova, Kuzmine and Shipilivka. Once again, Russia's idea of a repelled offensive includes Russian forces getting wrecked. Is getting wrecked proper military terminology? Video west of Shepelivka showed Russian troops and engineering equipment for a river crossing being destroyed by the Azov Brigade. We link to the video and other resources in our daily situation report. Information on how to become a subscriber and access our curated content is in the podcast description. There was no information about the results of the reported missile strike on the Russian helicopter base near the occupied city of Luhansk. It has been confirmed that M140, M39, Atakums missiles were used in the attack. Did someone say ATAKAMS missiles? There's more information coming up in the Zaporizhia and theater-wide section of the podcast. In northeastern Donetsk, mutual fighting was reported in the Klishchiivka AO, east of Klishchiivka and Andriivka. There are no changes that we can report at this time. In Slovyansk, Russian missiles struck a dormitory at the Agricultural College campus, which is already heavily damaged from earlier missile strikes. The building was unoccupied, and there were no injuries. Next, let's talk about the situation in southwestern Donetsk. In the Avdiivka AO, the intensity of Russian attacks has diminished. For the second day in a row, Armut didn't mention Avdiivka in its morning report. That's right. It was never an offensive, it was a special military operation active defense. A Russian advance in the direction of Stepove ended without success. Further south, Russian forces switched tactics and did not try to advance on the Terrakon from Vesele. Instead, attacking Avdivka with support from the Russian Aerospace Forces VKS, from Opytne, The offensive was also unsuccessful. Russian attacks south of Tonenke and near Pervomaiske ended in failure. Moving to assessment. There is not enough information to declare the Russian offensive over or to say that Ukrainian forces have stabilized their defensive lines. Russian forces have additional reserves and may be in an operational pause. Russian claims that fire control has been established on Ukrainian ground lines of communication, (GLOC) supply lines, are exaggerated. Through all this fighting, over 1,600 civilians are still living in Avdivka. In the Marinka AO, Russian forces once again attacked Ukrainian troops in and near Marinka, with no change in the situation. In the Staromlinevka AO, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine GSAFU, reported that Russian forces launched counteroffensives in the direction of Prechristivka and Zolotaniva suffered losses and returned to their defensive positions. Aren't you glad I didn't say was unsuccessful? Continuing along the line of conflict, here is today's update for Zaporizhia. Russian forces have launched a significant active defense. Wait, that's not right. Launched a significant counter-offensive on the western edge of Verbove, advancing on their own anti-armor defenses on the second echelon of the Surovikin line. Videos we reviewed today indicated it is not going well, with Russian forces suffering significant losses. At the time of recording, we had additional intelligence that we could not confirm in time for today's podcast. Russian forces also continued counter-attacks west of Robotene and north of Novoprokopivka with no success. The city of Zaporizhia was hit by up to six missiles, with one striking an apartment building, destroying the two uppermost floors. Two people were killed, and and search-and-rescue operations were continuing. Thanks to bad operational security, or OPSEC, by Russian forces in occupied Berdyansk, it has been confirmed that the airport north of the city was hit by three M-140 Atakams missiles built in 1996. The missiles were taken from the expired stockpile of United States munitions and have a range of 165 kilometers. Videos shared by Russian troops showed multiple fires after the strike and ammunition cooking off. The Special Operation Forces SSO of Ukraine reported that nine helicopters were destroyed, an anti-aircraft missile system, ammunition, and dozens of dead and wounded Russian soldiers. The evening report by GSCFU reported that six helicopters had been destroyed theater-wide. There is still more information to come about attackums in the theater-wide section. In Free Kherson, Kherson Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Alexander Prokudin Said Russia carried out 70 fire missions, firing 404 munitions, rockets, drone-delivered IEDs and bombs, striking the city of Kherson 16 times. Civilian areas and the train station were targeted again, with six people wounded in three separate incidents. A prominent but very unreliable Russian mail blogger, what's his name? Ribar, Yes, that's it claimed that Ukrainian forces made a successful wet crossing of the Dnipro River and were able to advance to Pishanivka and occupied Poima. There were no other sources for the claim, and we are including it in today's podcast because if you're following what's happening, you've probably heard the rumor. I can neither confirm nor deny the report at this time. On to the Russian front, where Armod claimed that air defenses shot down 12 drones in the Kursk region and six in the Belgorod region. The Security Service of Ukraine SBU, reported that drones successfully struck a Russian encampment near Khalina airfield in Pостоyalый dvor Kursk. It is reported that 3,000 Russian soldiers are stationed at the base, and the drone strikes killed 18. Before I talk about theater-wide events, a quick footnote. We are covering the Israel-Hamas war and have started situation reports available through our Patreon. $5 a month gets you in-depth information about the Russia-Ukraine and Israel-Hamas war. There is a link in the podcast description. And now on to theater-wide events. Ukrainian officials reported that 15.8 billion cubic meters of natural gas is in storage, with plans to accumulate another 700,000 million cubic meters before the end of the year. Through 2023, Ukraine dramatically increased the number of natural gas wells and has become more self-sufficient for its internal energy needs. The United States, Japan and South Korea met to discuss the increasing threat from North Korea and their ongoing support of the Russian Federation by supplying ammunition. The U.S. State Department said they "...arms supplies between North Korea and Russia, which violate numerous UN Security Council resolutions and threaten stability and security in the Indo-Pacific region, Europe and around the world, as well as undermine the global non-proliferation regime weapons of mass destruction. You may have noticed that Duck Potato Prince, the self-declared leader of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, has gotten awfully quiet. Uncle lender senator hasn't fallen out of a window, but it is reported that the last Wagnerites have left Belarus and were redeployed to Syria. Well, he still has his tactical nuclear weapons even if he doesn't have the codes to activate them. The Associated Press reported that the United States sent less than a dozen ATACOMS missiles to Ukraine on September twenty-first and hid the shipment by listing them as DPICM. White House National Security Council spokeswoman Adrienne Watson confirmed that Ukraine has received ATACOMS, saying, quote, We believe that ATAKAMS missiles will significantly enhance Ukraine's combat capabilities without risk of weakening our military readiness. The Russian Permanent Representative for the United Nations, Anatoly Antonov, said that the United States and NATO continue to push Russia, and he called the shipment of ATAKAMS a gross mistake. U.S. Colonel Martin O'Donnell, the representative of the U.S. Army in Europe and Africa, said that the United States now has all 31 M1A1 Abrams main battle tanks, trained crews, ammunition, and spare parts. While we welcome this good news, it aligns with our earlier assessment that the full force of the over 70-ton Abrams MBTs would arrive just in time for Ukraine's winter, and likely won't be seen in combat until next spring. Lithuania announced it would start repairing leopard tanks damaged in battle for Ukraine, with their repair base coming online. And that's today's report. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. Now, let me turn the podcast over to my executive producer and co-host Zarina Zabrisky.
0: on october 17th i had another rude awakening a friend called and told us to drive a few blocks down from our building here in Kherson, as a car was hit by mortar on a roundabout as projectiles whistled over our heads we threw on our gear Bulletproof vests and helmets are a must here and rushed to the side. This car was just hit. I hear from mortar. Um, and you hear uh, the attacks are continuing. The driver of this car was picked up by an ambulance. We are going to proceed from here. And in the background, you see uh, the university. And that's the building that we have Uh, visited the other day, which was attacked as well. The attack is continuing. The ambulance was there first, and two injured men were gone by the time we have arrived. So we just saw an empty car leaking something black with the puddles steaming and the front door was open, windows smashed. On the other side of the roundabout we saw trees broken by another hit. This one barely missed a children's theater. This is a puppet theater. So this time the Russians hit the puppet theater side. We already had children's cafe and colleges and children's hospital. But now the puppet theater. If you listen to our podcast, you probably might even recognize some of these locations. But this was a puppet theater. A lady who showed us inside pointed at the hole in the roof. That was the first hit about a year ago after the liberation right away. I asked her if the theater worked then. No, said Nadia. "Uh, We stopped working during the occupation. Uh, We hated the invaders and refused to stage shows. So we just stayed at home, she said, and the Russians had to bring their own puppeteers and actors. Nadia showed us the auditorium and a beautiful curtain still intact and also boxes with puppets, Three piglets, a wolf, and a hedgehog. Every day, the staff still comes here to the theater in the morning to keep it in order, just in case. They love their theater, and they don't stay long because of the shelling. In a couple of hours after that, the attacks continued. The walls shook, and here and there, we saw people running to hide, and there was a fire that started at a private house. Two women were injured, and when I picked in the ambulance, I saw one woman with her head covered with white gauze. She had no face, and her hand was suspended in the air as if she was trying to touch it. And I still can see this. Firemen, doctors, nurses, first responders, and communal services workers in Kherson are true heroes. They arrived to the site of destruction knowing that Russians often do a double tap, they repeat the attack. Yet, they're right there doing their job. Composed, professional, efficient. Usually within an hour, the debris and tree branches are gone. Although there is so much broken glass that the garbage bins can't take all of it. So you see small piles of glass here and there, shining in the sun like crystal, Meeting people working in Kherson is always an honor and inspiration. I recently spoke to Olha Malarchuk, the deputy for defense for Kherson region military administration. She and her colleagues work without weekends, under fire, and have to be on the move as the Russians try to find out their location. And in the city where drones drop explosives on cars or should the cars on the move, it is hardly to be taken lightly. Olha Malarchuk was previously an advisor to the head of the Mykolaiv regional military administration. After the liberation of Kherson on November 11, 2022, the Russian military crossed the Dnipro River and could no longer reach Mykolaiv. The front line advanced to the city of Kherson, and so did Malarchuk in her position. Olga Malarchuk interacts with the military and coordinates defense issues. My name is Olga Malarchuk, and I am the deputy of the head of the Kherson Regional Administration. What are the most challenging issues in Kherson and the Kherson region now? Well, at the moment there's only one problem. It's ongoing shelling that has no schedule or logic. Artillery, aerial bombs, constant tension. You can be heading somewhere and suddenly you have to fall down next to the curb. Shelling attacks are the hardest. We know that there have been more shellings in the past weeks. The Russians have increased their attacks. They are afraid of us and they are starting to get hysteria again. So they are following their old method. That is, they bombard us as much as possible in order to create a certain panic. So that civilians start to worry and say Negotiations are necessary and so on, but it is almost two years of full-scale war going on in our country. Not to mention the fact that we have been at war for almost 10 years since the beginning of 2014, and all this time that they are trying to put pressure on the civilian population. The civilian population only becomes angrier, more aggressive, and tries to help our Ukrainian military as much as possible to. Help to expel all Russians from our territory. What about the evacuation situation? Do Kherson residents want to leave or stay? We are constantly engaged in evacuation. We are also helped by the regional administration. Uh, The regional military administration uh, and the city administration of Kherson. The police are also involved in the process. There are many volunteer organizations that help. Evacuation is ongoing. Of course, when there are more shellings, Uh, people start to think more about evacuation, vacation, especially families with children. The Russians, as they fled, left a large number of mines, and this is a problem in the region. The Kherson region is the most mined territory, a lot of effort has been put into demining. When the Russians fled, they left behind a large number of minefields. This is a big problem in the region for agricultural enterprises. A lot of effort is currently devoted to demining. We have units of the armed forces, police groups, rescuers of the state emergency service. There are also private organizations that come in and help. This is more or less acceptable. Demining is a priority. No matter how much we would like to clean up agricultural land as soon as possible, we still prioritize buildings and villages first. At the same time, we are demining roads and bridges. Mine clearance is not as fast as we would like due to constant shelling. In addition, it is painstaking, it's big work. It is necessary to understand that the life of a sapper is more important and he cannot work in a hurry. I would like people to also understand that demining work continues here All the time. We are currently waiting for additional forces. We constantly ask for additional forces through the office of the President and the armed forces of Ukraine. They listen to us, and when there is an opportunity, they train and provide us with new sappers. Can we discuss the consequences of the flood? The Kachowska uh, hydropower plant is an unprecedented attack that only the Russians could do. Although, in general, I was not surprised. Honestly, I was not surprised. Let's just say that the expectations were there because all methods work for Russians, unfortunately. This is a very big tragedy. We are still struggling with its consequences. Unfortunately, there are areas where we still cannot begin to remove the remaining sludge and debris from the flood. As soon as our employees enter there, shelling begins. Unfortunately, we have lost human lives, and this is the most important thing. Therefore, there are areas to which we still cannot get. Where possible the gas supplies already has been restored, water supply is being restored, light is being restored. Unfortunately, We do not know the scale of the tragedy on the left bank. We have some statistics there which we can collect through our people, but we will see the full scope only when we are already on the left bank of the Dnipro River, which is located on a little lower ground, and of course the damage is the worst there. But believe me, what I have seen in my capacity of the head of the disaster management staff It is very scary. When you come to villages where the water is really muddy and you see old people who are crying because they have been working to earn money for their houses, all their lives and their homes were flooded. They have done everything for themselves and they just wanted to garden. Uh, It was difficult for me to see. It was difficult to communicate because there's such anger inside. You know, you have tears welling in your eyes, but you cannot show them. Yes, these terrible people, Russians are just trying to destroy our nation, all of us, by the means available to them. They are trying to do it, but they will not succeed. How is the ecological situation? How is the water? Is it potable? We have special committees carrying out research. They take samples and examine the condition of the water in the laboratory. Every day they report to us and we see all the numbers. The most important thing is that we did not have any serious infections. Thank God people heard and followed the government's announcements when it was possible to use water and when not. There are places where we still cannot restore water, where it is contaminated. Pure bottled water is constantly delivered there. Water is also delivered for household use. Currently the situation is stable. A personal question. As a woman, what do you think about your role in the military service, in the society and in the progress towards victory? I understand that I have to move forward. My mission, my work... The same work that I did in Mikolajev region, uh, now the front line has moved forward, and I'm moving with it. I move forward too because my main direction is with the military. Nothing has changed since the start of the full-scale invasion. It's just that the position has changed now. I need to continue to solve issues related to the ability of the military to move forward. For me, this is a priority. I have been with the troops since. 2014. Since that time, I've been doing everything possible for us to finally win. I'm sure that the victory will be 100% ours. My role is simple, to be a link in the existing chain and help the military to win to the victory. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.